Uh, the passage this morning is from 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 1 to 10. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with the power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and the Lord, and you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell, you how, they tell how you turn to God from idols to severe the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Well, good morning. My name is Nathan. It's a great joy to be here this morning to open up the Word. Uh, there's a brand new phrase that has come about in the last couple of years, um, one that I thought I'd never hear. Uh, it's been spoken by everyone. Probably heard it on the news, probably heard it at your workplaces, probably heard it from your family and friends. Are you ready for it? No, that's right, we're not ready for it, but that's right. You probably even heard it at church. A new normal. And I heard a groan, which is an appropriate response. A new normal. We heard it everywhere. You had to wear masks to go to the shops. A new normal. And then you had to wear masks outside. A new normal. Uh, you had to gather with your friends one-to-one -one in a park. A new normal. Um, meeting, uh, depending which LGA you lived in, would determine where and how many people can gather in your space. Um, it was a phrase to help us deal with things to help us to understand the things that were out of our control. Uh, what we once knew was normal was thrown out the window, uh, and then there were so many different versions of the new normal. It was hard to keep up with. I remember chatting to a friend, and he said, it's like starting a video game, and then each week it resets, and new rules come in, and you've got to work out how to play in it. When the future is so unpredictable, it can cause some anxiety. Uh, and it's pretty normal to feel anxious when things are uncertain, because uh, you don't know what's to come. Uh, and wouldn't we just love some confidence of what is to come? Uh, to rest easy knowing that everything will be okay. And it's almost impossible these days to go without hearing some kind of alarming information, uh, that there's a new natural disaster or that there's a new variant of an illness out there or there's a political unrest in whichever part of the world that it is. And even more, what you say online these days can get you cancelled. People are dragging up things from 15, 20 years ago to try to cancel you now, and we're constantly being reminded that we are no longer in a calm world. And living in times like these can be challenging. 
especially if you're a Christian. Uh, so what's the point? Is it worth it being a Christian? It looks so hard and some of your non-Christian friends were like, well, why do, you, why do you even do this? Is following Jesus really worth it? And this question is one that has been raised by Christians through all ages, not just this one. Is following Jesus really worth it? And I want to say yes. We can have great confidence in following Jesus because we have such a great hope. And Paul saw this in the Thessalonian church, who had such a great hope in Jesus. In just three weeks of preaching in Thessalonica, many, many, many people became Christians. They put their trust in Jesus. They heard of Jesus as the one true king who can rescue them, who they can put their trust in. But this message did not go well, down well with the community around them. Uh, they thought that they were defying Caesar as the king, by having Jesus as their one true king. And persecution got so intense that Paul and Silas and the rest of the crew had to leave Thessalonica. But when you have Jesus as your one true king, you will live a countercultural life. And you will be going against the tide of the world and people around you might become suspicious of you and asking why you act in such a certain way and it can bring some level of hostility. But Paul wrote this letter to encourage the Thessalonians that even though these days are tough, even though it seems hard, even the world is being hostile to Christians, there is a right way to respond. And the response of Jesus follows to hostility is to always show love and to be gracious in this. And that there is a hope that we have that is motivated by the returning of the Lord Jesus. He will return and he will make everything right. And that is a big theme of this letter, is Jesus' return, He's coming back. And you can have confidence in this reality. And so Paul gives an encouragement to a struggling church to say, no, the hope is sure. Jesus is coming back, it is going to be okay. And we too can have that very same confidence going into life, knowing that Jesus is coming back. The future may look uncertain, but there is a glorious future. And our lives now can reflect that glorious future. And Paul is so encouraged by the Thessalonians that that is what was happening. And so let me pray as we jump into this next series of the Thessalonians. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this letter to the Thessalonians. We thank you for the encouragement that they are to Paul and the encouragement they are to us. We pray that as we journey through this letter, that we may understand you more and our hope can be set in you who is coming back one day. Amen. Uh, if you had to just describe church to someone who's never been, I wonder what you'd say. Uh, you might begin with what a church looks like. Ours in this building kind of looks like a theatre. Not quite the picture that some people might have in their head. Um, so maybe you think you go to, down to Brownsville Church. That's what it looks like. A brick building, maybe sandstone. Um, it's been there for an eternity. Uh, or maybe uh, you start to explain what we do at church. We sing, we pray, someone stands up and speaks. Uh, sometimes we have meals afterwards. Uh, coffee, apparently, is what people love to drink. Um, I don't get it, but that's okay. Um, but that's kind of what we do at a church. 
But then you might start to think outside the box and literally outside the four walls that confine this building, that the church is a people, a gathered people of like-minded people. Uh, it doesn't matter where you gather because a church is the people. It's our home. And this is what church looked like for people in the first century, a gathering of people probably in someone's home, worshipping God. And this is the very people Paul is writing to, a gathered community. Verse 1 says, Paul, Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. There is something different about church groups than every other group that there is. A church finds its identity in God. See, Paul describes the Thessalonian churches as being in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the word in doesn't look like much on first read. Like, yep, cool, let's just pass right on by that. Um, but we tend to move past that, uh, that little word in. But there's so much to learn about this one little word. See, Christians aren't just random people together, uh, but they've put their trust in God, put their hope in God to live in Him day by day because of what God has done through Jesus on the cross. We've been brought into a community and there is life in that community. We're not brought to some lifeless organisation, but brought into something that is living and active. As I said earlier, Paul and Silas were only with the Thessalonians for about three weeks, but they had such a big uh, impact on them, and we'll see that as we journey through this letter over the next five weeks, that they had such a good impression on them that Paul says in verse 2, he always thanks God for them continuously, and he keeps them in their prayers. And we see in verse 3 why Paul is so thankful for them, and he has three things that he's thankful for, that their works have produced faith, a labour promoted by love, and endurance inspired by hope. And these three things we've probably heard before, faith, hope, and love. It's a bit of a staple in Paul's letters, but faith, hope, and love. And it's because of their faith that the Thessalonians got to work. Uh, they knew that their works didn't save them, that what they did meant that they had to uh, do this to be saved, but it was because of their faith that they got to work. Now, with this word work is a bit of a broad theme and it could mean many things, um, but one of the things was, was they got to work about sharing the gospel. They got to work about saying Jesus is king and he's someone that you need to know. So when they went to school, they told it. When they went to work, they told about Jesus. And the work that they did also meant that they worked hard in their regular nine to five or whatever it is that fills up your week. They got to work because they knew that they are working for a king who demands us to work hard, to obey our bosses, to obey those people around us. For Paul, this faith is a warm personal trust in Jesus and such a faith transforms your whole life and it leads to many types of work. And Paul says your labour is promoted by love. Uh, and I'm sure you may have uh, heard the phrase before, uh, a labour of love, um, which is something uh, that you do because you're expecting some kind of reward at the end of it. You work and then eh, maybe in some ways it'll come back around. Um, but for the Thessalonians, uh, it was a little stronger in mind. 
the Thessalonians labored or worked so much to exhaustion. Paul is highlighting the cost of their love, not its results. And the third thing Paul is thankful for is their endurance, which is fueled by hope. In the face of difficulties and uncertain times, it was their hope that was grounded in the resurrection of Jesus that they too will one day rise to eternity that fueled their hope. And you can build your life on this hope. And we're going to cover this in way more detail in a talk coming about three weeks of the hope that is to come. The Thessalonian church was marked by faith, love and hope. And these weren't just some inner values, but they were coupled with action. It made a difference in their whole lives and their whole lives were marked because of it. It wasn't just taken out of the wardrobe on Sunday, they put it on, they look good at church and then they put it back in the wardrobe in the rest of the week. Their whole life was characterised by these values and actions. Jesus, who was Lord of their life, made a difference. I wonder, how have you thought how you want to be known? Do you have a, want to be known as someone having a good reputation or a bad reputation? Wonder what your reputation in the workplace is? Or who you are amongst your group of friends? See, the Thessalonian church was known for their faith and their hope and their love. How is it that you want to be known for? See, Paul sees the Thessalonians as ones with great reputation and their, dis- their actions are on display for all to see. See, when you meet Jesus, He will change your whole life. And Paul outlines this in verses 4 to 10, how it changes. And for those who love a bit of alliteration, uh, all these start with C. There's a lot of threes in this passage. I mean, classic sermon, but there are a lot of threes in this passage. And here are three Cs in uh, these four things. We are chosen, we are changed, and we are converted. We are chosen, we are changed, and we are converted. So first, let's look at chosen in verses four and five, which says, For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know that we lived among you for your sake. How did the gospel come? Well, Paul says that you are chosen by God. Conversion always begins with God, not us. Always begins with God, not us. And it is out of His love that we have been saved. Now, this topic of being chosen is called the doctrine of election. Our youth really love this. For some reason, when you get into year 8 to about year 10, it's the only question that comes in discussion groups. What does this mean? I'm going to deal with it in a short bit here. If you have more questions, I can point in direction of resources and we can chat about it. But... um, Election is a thing that we see across the Bible a lot, uh, and it can often be be misrepresented. See, God has chosen some for eternal life with Him, and on the flip side, some have been passed over and have not inherited eternal life with God. And some see this as God as some type of angry tyrant who saves some and sends others to hell without any rhyme or reason. But from what these verses say, uh, it is against such a view as that, that God has chosen us, His people, out of His great love. 
It is not some device of sentencing people to eternal torment, but rather rescuing some from that. Being chosen by God, election stops us thinking that our salvation is dependent on anything that we can do. It leaves it all in the will of God. And it is only because God first convicts us that we have any, um, I, any motion of turning towards Him. Uh, and it was, it's like if our hands are tied behind our back. We can't go in for a hug with God. There's nothing that we can do there. It's until first He unties our hands that we can come in for the hug. He first convicts us of our sin so that we can turn to Him. It is in love that He has done that. And Paul knows that the Thessalonian church have been chosen, and that is the gospel has come with power, and the Holy Spirit has convicted us deeply, as the passage says. When the gospel is preached, when the name of Jesus is spoken, God is at work and there is power. It is not mere words, but there is power. So now that we see the gospel has come from God and that we are chosen, well, what effect does it have on our life? Well, our second C is that we are changed. Verses 6 to 8 say, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from not only into Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. Paul and his friends had a big impact on the Thessalonian church, not only with their words, but their actions, how that they lived. It wasn't just all talk, but they walked the walk. So much so that the Thessalonians started to imitate Paul. The church became imitating Paul, who was imitating Jesus, and they became a model. And this is often the way. We follow our leaders and we start to act uh, how they act. And if I'm being honest, is a little scary. As a leader, I didn't know how much people copied me. Um, other leaders picked up things that I would do and say. Uh, when I was working at camps, I'd be leading a lot of activities and training the newest recruits how to do activities. Um, hopefully, they picked up my good things of clifftop safety when we're leading abseiling, to keep your eye on the participant who's on the edge of a cliff and keeping 30 other kids safe at the top of a cliff. And picking up the little things that I'd say, like when you have your hand on your abseil rope, oh, for go, close to shut, and all that stuff. They remember that, which is nice and heartwarming. And when I was leading discussion groups, I'd give them some tips and tricks, how to control the rowdy kids. Uh, if you've got a really talkative one, you sit them next to you so you don't have eye contact. It's a game changer. Um, all those things that you have, you teach them so that they love uh, that discussion group. Uh, but sometimes they pick up your bad habits as well. Um, I used to work at a lake, uh, Lake Macquarie. It's got sharks in the lake. And I used to think it's a great idea to go swimming at night because there's phosphorus in the lake. It's a good time. I come back to work as a casual couple of years later and they say, kids are still, uh, leaders are still swimming in the lake after the kids have gone to bed. I was like, uh, yeah, that's on me. Um, <laughs> so sometimes they pick up your good things. Sometimes they pick up your bad things. Um, but... When we are in positions of leadership, people follow you. 
and they, and they follow the model you've set for them, and it sets up the next generation. And the Thessalonians who imitated Paul are now the ones who are being imitated themselves. The imitators have become the imitated, and their influence is spreading widely. The Thessalonians became a model for all believers in other cities. Their faith was known everywhere, which is crazy. It's like Paul's to say, Dapto Anglican, you have been a model that Wollongong and Shell Harbour have noticed you. You have become a model to them. They can see your faith and they are imitating it. Could you imagine if that's what people are saying about our church? Not the fact that we put on great events, which we do. Not the fact that our building has won architectural prizes, which it has. But the fact that we are known because we follow Jesus. The fact that we are known because of our faith. How cool would that be if that's what our church was known for? That we were known for our faith. He makes such a difference in our lives not just on Sundays, but through our work week, through our weeks and our sport team, in our social circles. I mean, is that not a church you want to be a part of? The third C is converted. What difference does the gospel make? Well, have a look at verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report the kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from coming wrath. What difference does the gospel make? Well, it changes your life and it turns around. There's more threes here. Paul makes three clear points here. First, we turned to God from idols. See, once you're walking in one direction and then you turned 180 degrees to head towards God. It's a physical action. You're walking this way and then you've turned from idols to serve God. You can't be holding on to one thing from your past life and try and live that way. It just doesn't work. You turned from idols to God. It's a clean break from the past. And once you turn from those idols to the God, to the living God, you serve the living God as Paul says, which is the second thing. It means moving away from worshipping things that were dead. Paul's quite clever when he says this. He says, we follow the one true living God, which implies that idols are dead. It implies that idols are inactive. They are false and they are counterfeit. They are not the real thing. Instead of worshipping the creator, we've ended up worshipping creation. And the third thing that the Thessalonians do is the third next action is that they wait. They wait for Jesus to come back. While we serve the living God now, we've turned away from idols and serve the living God, we wait well for Jesus to come back. We know that he is coming back and we will share in the glorious future. And I'm sorry to kick this on for the next couple of weeks, but we will cover the return of Jesus in the coming weeks. But we wait well because we have hope in Jesus, knowing that he is coming back. When a person becomes a Christian, it does involve that very clean break from their old habits. doesn't matter a person's background, there will always be turning from idols. 
Idols are a thing that we put above God and worship more than Him. In the first century, it's much easier to do that. Those in the Greece, Turkey right now, they're probably seeing a lot of statues and idols all around the cities. We don't have that today. It's much harder to see. But it is whatever it is you're putting before God that becomes your God. It could be a hobby that you spend all your time on that takes you away from gathering with God's people, spending time with Him. It could be relationships. It could be whatever it is that you're putting before God that is an idol. And once we get into that, we start to put God to the side. I don't know what your idols are, uh, but there are many out there. And whatever it is that's holding you back from worshipping God, whether it's comfort, security, money, work, sport, whatever it is, that hold us back from God. And Paul says, we've got to turn from them. Just like the Thessalonians, they were once worshipping that way, but they turned to serve the one true living God. And many of these things are good and right, in their, good in their own right, but the problem is when we want too much of them. They will never fully satisfy you. Only in Jesus can you find your true satisfaction. So the good news of Jesus made such an impact, all the gospel made such an impact on the Thessalonians. Even though Paul was only there for three weeks, the lives of the Thessalonians were changed forever. They had received the gospel and their lives had changed. And they couldn't keep it to themselves. They had to pass on this message. People knew that the Thessalonians were Christians. They knew that their lives had been drastically changed by Jesus. And they had a reputation for that. Paul is grateful for their partnership in the gospel and its encouragement to him. And so what do you want your reputation to be? Do you want to be known as someone who is a Christian? Known as someone who has their, your faith in Jesus. So how can this passage encourage you to follow Jesus more closely? Let me pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a good God who has saved us and that we can put our hope in you and put our trust in you. Thank you that the gospel changes our lives so drastically and we thank you for the encouragement that the Thessalonians are to us. We pray that as we journey through this letter, that we may be encouraged by them to live out our faith for you. Amen.